Welcome to On the Middle East, our Monitor's weekly podcast on the big stories in the region. My name is Ambrun Zaman, and I'll be once again looking at Turkey's efforts to mend fences with the Assad regime in Syria. Turkey has long been the mainstay of the Syrian opposition, providing safe haven and funneling arms to various Sunni rebel factions united under the umbrella of the so-called Syrian National Army. It's also advocating a negotiated solution as outlined by the United Nations for the Syrian conflict, which is soon to enter its 12th year. The United States has warned against efforts to normalize Syria's President Bashar Assad, who has committed horrific crimes against his own people. But the tide appears to be turning in his favor, with several Arab countries reopening their missions in Damascus, notably the United Arab Emirates, Oman and Kuwait. With us here today to discuss the impact of all these developments is Jonathan Hargreaves, the United Kingdom's special envoy to Syria. So thank you so very much for joining us here today. Thank you very much, Amberin. Great pleasure to be here. So um, there's a lot of talk these days about rapprochement uh, between Turkey and the Assad regime, a huge U-turn, and it seems to be more than just talk, because uh, we recently saw the defense ministers of both countries meeting in Moscow. There's now um, There are now plans for the foreign ministers to meet in the coming days. And uh, Turkey has said, indeed, that its president has said that he would very much like to meet with President Bashar al-Assad. The Kurds believe that this is more than just a tactical shift because, you know, a lot of analysts seem to think that this is really about a Turkey's election and an effort by Erdogan to convince voters that, you know, he's trying to do his best to have all those unwanted refugees go back and talking to Assad will help fix this. Um, what is your assessment of this shift? Because it is undeniably one. And what are you telling uh, Ankara? Because after all, you are very close allies. Indeed, we are close allies and we completely respect that Turkey has very many interests in Syria and in the region and indeed has 900 kilometres or more of border with Syria, unlike the UK. So, of course, what happens in Syria matters enormously for Turkey. We've always worked very closely with our Turkish colleagues on the Syrian crisis and on the political process. And together we have been uh, amongst the greatest advocates of the UN-sponsored political process and of the implementation of uh, the UN Resolution 2254. And I've been very glad and heartened to hear Turkey continuing to uh, mention those as absolutely fundamental to the future of Syria even amongst the recent conversations. Of course, the abuses which the regime with its backers, Iran and Russia, have carried out actually continue to this day, uh, according to the Syrian Network on Human Rights. Uh, even just in 2022, there were well over 2,000 arbitrary arrests and detentions, of which over 200 were of... IDPs and refugees going back uh, to their homes in Syria. So 
from our point of view, things have not improved in terms of the behavior of the Assad regime and its backers. And we believe that we need to continue to put diplomatic pressure on Assad and on those who support him to be part of the UN-sponsored peace process and to reach a sustainable long-term solution. And we worry that any kind of rapprochement with Assad, which is outside that process, risks entrenching Assad and his backers, stalling the peace process, and reducing the chances of justice for those who have suffered at the hands of the regime over the past 10 or 11 years. And it's hard to see uh, from the experience that others have had of trying to have rapprochement with Assad, how uh, that rapprochement is going to lead to benefits for them or for the Syrian people, or indeed for the wider world. So we'll watch this process extremely carefully but we will prioritize the uh, UN-sponsored process and making sure that there is justice and accountability in Syria for the things that have happened over the last 10 or 11 years. Well, um, it's hard to be optimistic, though, about those uh, UN-sponsored talks. Uh, they don't seem to be really going anywhere. Um, you see a lot of fragmentation within the Syrian opposition. Uh, and at the same time, as you mentioned, Turkey has these very real security concerns. The fact that the US, the coalition uh, forces uh, in northeast Syria are partnered with a group which contains um, numerous figures who at one time uh, were fighting the Turkish military and um, on behalf of the Kurdistan Workers' Party. And so Turkey is, you know, very upset about this and expects its NATO allies to address those concerns. Uh, we know what it says to the U.S. about this, and because, you know, the president, the Turkish president, foreign minister and others have been extremely vocal. Uh, what do they say to you? Because after all, you too are partnered with the SDF. And, and you know, how do you respond to Turkey when it says you really need to end this partnership? Well, as I say, we absolutely respect the fact that Turkey has very particular security interests uh, in Syria. And of course, it's absolutely justified in defending those security interests. And uh, we totally respect their need to do that. As you say, the SDF is a close partner of the coalition in our essential fight against Daesh and has been for many years. And we pay respect to the many sacrifices that have been made by their forces uh, in partnership with the coalition over that time. And we share with Turkey the interest in countering terrorism we share an interest in protecting civilians everywhere, and we share an interest in regional stability. So actually we have a lot in common in terms of our interests with our Turkish colleagues. And what we need is a solution which guarantees the safety of both Turks and Syrians in Turkey and in Syria. So what could be done then to sort of uh, reinvigorate that process which, um... I mean, everyone acknowledges isn't really going anywhere. And now you have Turkey, which for all these years has been the mainstay of the Syrian opposition, of the Sunni Syrian opposition. Um, 
uh, and the fact that it appears to be changing tack, um, I happen to agree that it's not just about the Turkish election and very much linked also to Turkey's security concerns and an effort to try and sort of address those by partnering now with uh, Russia and the Assad regime. What can be done to, to you know, jumpstart the UN-led process? Well, it's no secret that the UN-led process and the uh, progress of the Constitutional Committee is very frustrating. And I think Gare Pedersen, the UN Special Envoy, does a remarkable job tirelessly trying to continue to, to push it forward and to bring together the two sides uh, and, and indeed the middle third uh, to the Constitutional Committee and to move forward the process of the constitutional arrangements. But it is frustrating and it's um, hard to see how that will make progress in the absence of a genuine commitment by the regime uh, with the encouragement of its Russian backers and its Iranian backers. And that's what we need. We, we need them to participate in good faith to try and find a political solution to this. It hasn't been made any easier by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which of course has made things harder in terms of the kind of diplomatic relationships which are possible between the Russian side and other countries. So that's unfortunately been a complicating factor, which has further held back progress on the Constitutional Committee and, and the implementation of 2254. But we need to keep on trying. And Mr. Pedersen, uh, with support from all of the countries concerned, I know uh, continues to talk to people in the regime and in Russia, as well as um, other countries, to see whether there is a way forward which can satisfy the needs of, of, of all sides and find a way which makes some progress. We also take our hats off to the uh, Syrian Negotiation Committee uh, for its role and its tirelessness in uh, persisting and turning up each time that there is a committee session well prepared, ready to negotiate and ready to um, enter into serious conversations and we really uh, congratulate them for the efforts which they have made but it's really really hard. So what additional pressure can you bring to bear on the Assad regime? I mean particularly at a time as you said when the Ukraine conflict has had this huge impact really in terms of um, sort of uh, power balances uh, in clay, you now see Iran and uh, Russia cooperating much more on a military level, which of course has ramifications for Syria. And uh, as Russia diverts some of its resources to uh, the Ukrainian theater, Iran seems to be filling that vacuum. So in that respect, does it sort of make sense then for Turkey to be stepping in and through perhaps some form of, let's not use the word reconciliation, but dialogue with the Syrian regime, perhaps uh, mitigate that growing uh, Iranian influence. Does that make any sense to you? Well, it is true, clearly, that I Iran does have tremendous 
uh, influence in Syria and that the regime has allowed itself to become uh, very dependent on uh, the support from Iran. And we don't, don't see Iran's role in Syria and in the wider region as positive. But you also uh, started the, your question with uh, the, a very good point about the, um, the kind of pressure and incentives for the regime to participate in the political process. And that's one of the reasons why we are uh, skeptical about the benefits of any kind of rapprochement or normalization with the regime, which doesn't uh, provide an incentive for the regime to participate in the political process. So we would urge uh, all countries to be very, very cautious about that kind of rapprochement with the regime uh, until there is clear evidence that it benefits those countries themselves, that it is a benefit to Syrian people on the ground in the sense of uh, improving the economic situation and reducing the uh, human rights abuses, which uh, continue to persist. And so uh, we that's why we will continue to um, apply as much diplomatic pressure as we think it's possible to do, uh, because the only way forward for Syrian people is to have a legitimate government which cares about the Syrian people's interests uh, and is willing to protect them and safeguard their prosperity. Well, there's also the whole, you know, issue of the Islamic State. Um, obviously, one big concern is that if Turkey and Damascus resume their cooperation against the Kurds, uh, um, this could have a very negative impact on the coalition's ongoing efforts to um, eradicate the Islamic State, uh, particularly if the um, SDF, as it has in the past, is forced to divert its attention to, you know, defending itself any against any sort of further Turkish um, military action against it. Uh, that is obviously a real concern, isn't it? Yes, and uh, this is one of the conversations that, of course, we have uh, very frankly with our Turkish friends. Uh, we share the fight, as I mentioned earlier, uh, against Daesh. We're uh, both part of the coalition against Daesh globally and uh, in its manifestations in Iraq and Syria. Uh, and we know that we are both committed to that fight. Um, the SDF plays and continues to play an enormously uh, important role in that. And we do um, worry about its ability to continue to uh, look after the, uh, the camps and facilities uh, which are protecting the world against the uh, resurgence of Daesh. Uh, and against the influence which Daesh might have in, in the region and more broadly. In the meantime, of course, we also see this regime engaging in um, all kinds of criminal activity. Charles Lister of the Middle East Institute just um, wrote a blog mentioning the amount of uh, money it makes off selling Captagon. Um, at the same time, the rights abuses continue and of course um, Syrians 90% of Syrians now live be below the poverty line 
So um, how does one how does one actually stop the regime from from behaving in this manner? So far, sanctions don't appear to have worked. So what what real leverage? I I, I realize I'm repeating myself, but what actual real leverage does the West, does the United States, the UK, the EU have, especially given that it's just not Turkey that's sort of resuming relations with this government, but or regime rather, but also other allies like the United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, Oman. Um, what can you actually do? What real leverage do you have? I mean, you obviously can't punish those countries or haven't again one of our reasons for being uh, anxious about um rushing to any kind of uh, a, a arrangement with assad is because that could diminish the chances of finding justice for those people who have suffered at the hands of the regime sanctions is part of that uh, but it isn't uh, sufficient uh, we do believe that sanctions has both maintained some pressure to be part of the political process and is also a form of accountability for individuals who have been part of the atrocities which have been committed. But of course, sanctions on their own are not going to uh, solve the situation. At the same time, there are other forms of accountability uh, which will take some time to come through but for which we need to lay the ground now and for which we are laying the ground now. Uh, and again, the Ukraine situation has shown how important it is that we are able to demonstrate that there will be accountability for crimes committed in Syria as are now happening in Ukraine. And it's appalling to think that the way that uh, Syrians were treated was a kind of dress rehearsal uh, by the Russians for the way that uh, people are now being treated in Ukraine. And that's why we take every opportunity we can to highlight the uh, violations of international humanitarian human rights law in Syria. And we use our position on the UN Security Council to uh, draw attention to those, uh, including the UN Human Rights Council. And we were highly instrumental, for example, in um, setting up the UN International Impartial and Independent Mechanism, uh, which is able to collate and preserve uh, the evidence of uh, abuses and crimes which have taken place uh, by all parties over the last few years. Now, those pieces of evidence uh, won't necessarily be used uh, very soon. We hope they are, and it was uh, very important that they were instrumental, for example, in the case which was uh, taken in uh, in Germany last year, but it's a long game and we will persist with it. We as the UK, along with many other donors, um, are supporting many initiatives involving highly courageous and dedicated Syrian professionals who are documenting violations of, of law and uh, finding the evidence which enables us to be able to do this so that come the day, we will be able to use it um, and find justice for Syrian people. Well, it's terribly important, of course, to be on the right side of history. Uh, but, I mean, the United States obviously uh, 
is in the lead role here. And what we're witnessing, sadly, is um, a sort of deprioritization of, of Syria. It's sort of fallen away, hasn't it? Especially since Ukraine. I mean, you don't have an opposite number in the, in Washington. There is no Syria envoy anymore. No, I don't think that's right, actually. In, in fact, as I mentioned, the Ukraine situation, if anything, has highlighted the uh, situation in Syria in the sense that it has reminded many people of the terrible things which have happened in Syria, which are now being echoed in Ukraine. I have excellent conversations with uh, US counterparts uh, all the time, uh, including with my excellent opposite number. And with the Americans and French and other allies, uh, we continue to work really hard to find any opportunity, both to push the political for process forward, to discuss with uh, other countries in the region uh, how we might collectively continue to both apply pressure and make progress, and how we can um, address these issues of accountability, which I mentioned, as well as, of course, the addressing the appalling humanitarian situation. And one of the things that we're most glad about uh, in, in the last few days is the fact that the UN Security Council was able to uh, pass the new resolution for allowing cross-border aid to be facilitated by the United Nations. And that wouldn't have happened without close cooperation amongst the uh, certainly the three members of the uh, three permanent members of the UN Security Council. Final question. The BBC is running uh, a series on Shamima Begum these days. I don't know if you're following um, the British Bangladeshi woman who was a quote unquote ISIS bride and who was stripped of her UK nationality. Um, is the UK thinking still very rigid on this, that uh, people who joined ISIS will not be allowed to come back, will not be repatriated? These people in the camps, the families of ISIS fighters and the fighters themselves. Well, as we've always said, we look at these cases individually and we take each uh, as it comes. Um, of course, our primary uh, responsibility uh, as a government is to the security of the UK and we look at these cases uh, initially through that lens but we also take uh, into account any request uh, for help by uh, anybody in Syria. We don't of course have, uh, are, we're not able to offer consular assistance as a matter of routine to people in Syria but we will always consider each case in its own merits. And I, I personally have been able, I'm delighted to say, to be able to um, help uh, some children to return from Northeast Syria and to uh, find better lives here in the UK. And we will always uh, look at cases of uh, unaccompanied minors uh, uh, very seriously and do our best to, uh, to support them. But we will also uh, take each case um, according to its own merits and its our own assessment of uh, the security and humanitarian aspects uh, which we see. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and for this really interesting conversation. 
um, and good luck with all those huge challenges that you have and hope to have you on our program again in the future. Thank you very much and very good to talk to you. And this brings us to the end of this week's On the Middle East. I'm going to be traveling next week, so we won't be together until the week after next. Tune in then, and I promise to have another very interesting guest. Thank you and goodbye.